WDBM East Lansing. You think the Pistons are playoff bound? This MSU team deserves to be in a BCS bowl. I'm Alex Shargan coming up on tonight's version of Spartan Sports Rap. Zach Segula and David DeFever take the mic. All that and more. This is the Spartan Sports Rap. That is right. We kick off our Impact Sports Summer Series with our guests. We have a variety of them on the new Impact Sports team. And tonight, it's Zach Segula, David DeFever. And let me tell you, these guys are the definition of hockey and basketball. So I'm going to hand the mic over to them and enjoy the show. All right, everyone. I'm uh, David DeFever. Um, today on the Sports Wrap, we have uh, NBA Playoff Talk, the finals, series tied at 1-1 between the Heat and the Spurs. And then later on in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about the NHL Stanley Cup Finals has finally been set. The Boston Bruins and Chicago Blackhawks have punched their p- ticket to, you know, at attempt to win the Stanley Cup, and also major changes in the NHL after a meeting in Tuesday in, Tor- in Toronto. Hello, East Lansing. I'm Zach Segula, and we're going to get started with uh, NBA Finals. Uh, let's see, game. There was game last week, game two. Uh, we're going to start with game one. The recap uh, was June sixth. Spurs won 92-88. Parker finished with 21 points and 6 assists to give the Spurs a 1-0 lead in the best of the seven series. Tim Duncan added 20 points and 14 rebounds. LeBron James led the Heat with a very LeBron-esque game of a triple-double of 18 points, 18 rebounds, and 10 assists. I think the key to Game 1 was the Heat only scored 16 points in the fourth quarter. The Spurs actually tied... Uh, finals low set by our Detroit Pistons with only four turnovers. And not to mention, Tony Parker was amazing. He scored 10 points in the fourth quarter of game one. And not to mention the buzzer-beating bank shot uh, to put them up by four. Game two was last night, and the Heat convincingly took that. The Heat were powered by Mario Chalmers, of all people. I know sometimes you forget he's still on the team. With 19 points, a strong second half by LeBron James. And really, I think a big thing of uh, that was Twitter really exploded. The whole, the whole world really exploded when LeBron James blocked poor Tiago Splitter in his dunk attempt. I'm sure, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm sure you will soon. Um, I think the turning point in that game, really, the 14-3 run at the end of the third quarter to give a 10-point lead for the Heat going into the fourth, and they really they really didn't look back. So, and I, I really was thinking about this, and uh, I believe that we're really watching the Miami Cavaliers here. If you really think about it, any team that LeBron James is on, he's, he's a Cav. He's from Cleveland, so he's going to be a Cavalier. And this team has really turned into the Cavaliers of 07, who actually LeBron James took to the finals. And who did they play? The San Antonio Spurs. Yes. So if you really think about it, 2007 San Antonio Spurs regular season record, 58-24. and 24. The 2013 San Antonio Spurs record, 58-24. and 24. And everyone talks about the big three, big three, big three. LeBron James, obviously, 
great player. This year in the playoffs, the 2013 playoffs, the Heat, LeBron James averaging 25 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. Compare that to 07 when he was a Cav, LeBron James, 25 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. But that's obviously LeBron James is going to do that, right? Yes, That's what LeBron James is going to do. But what about the other two players, the big three? Dwayne Wade, This these playoffs, shooting 44%, 14 points per game, and one and a half steals. Compare that to, in Cleveland, 07, Larry Hughes. I know. Larry who? Larry Hughes. 11 points, 3 assists, and 1.5 steals per game. Very similar numbers. Really, Dwayne Wade, where have you been? Then we're going to look at Chris Bosh. Everyone loves Chris Bosh, right? Everyone loves Chris Bosh. Chris Bosh. <laughs> These playoffs, 12 points per game, 7 rebounds, 1.5 blocks. Compare that to Zadrunas Elgauskas with 12.5 points per game, 10 rebounds, and a solid block per game. The numbers are the exact same if you're really looking at it. This is the Cleveland Cavaliers reincarnated in Miami. I think, I think you really got to blame put this on LeBron. This is what LeBron does. He comes to a team, and they take over. They take the identity, you know? Correct. So, I really think if you look at it, they're playing the exact same team because literally this is the Spurs again. And if you look at the Spurs numbers in 2007, the Spurs, Tim Duncan averaged 22 points a game and 11 rebounds. This year, Duncan, 18 points a game, 10 rebounds. Parker, in, 2000, in 2007, 21 points, 6 assists, 3 rebounds. This year, 23 points, 7 assists, 4 rebounds. And Ginobili's doing what Ginobili does. This is the exact same thing. In 07, Spurs won in four games. They swept them. Obviously, that's not going to happen this year, but I really believe I got the Spurs in six. My, I'm thinking Spurs are going to take the next two out of three. They got three. The next three games are in uh, San Antonio. They're taking two out of the next three. And so then they'll be up 3-2. And that sixth game, I think they take it in Miami. That's what I'm thinking. And, and, and that's tough to say because Miami is a tough place to beat, you know, like – you know, in front of the hometown crowd, you know, you got the big stars with LeBron and Wade and all them. But they did it in game one, so it can happen again. It's, it's possible, that's it, what I'm saying. You know, they always say, you know, home court is your advantage. Well, you know, when it comes to playoffs, you, you just don't know. You can't predict that, you know what I'm saying? It's completely different from the regular season. Everyone's going ten times harder. It's a lot more physical. You know, there's a lot more on the table. And totally agree with the comparison with the Cavaliers and the Heat. I mean, when you look at Dwayne Wade... LeBron James and Chris Bosh, you would never see those names of Zadrudis Algaskis. Mm-hmm. The big, big Z. Right. Uh, wow. He's probably 40 years old when you in 07. Yeah. And then the same thing with Hughes. Who is he? Exactly. Right. You know what I'm saying? You just don't make those comparisons with those teams. And I don't know if it's the players themselves, but Dwayne Wade has fallen off tremendously. No, this you're year. exactly right. I mean, some people say that, like, they say Paul George grew up in front of our eyes, that we saw him you know, grow. And I really believe that we saw Dwayne Wade age in front of our eyes. He put on about four years this playoff series. I, I He got old quick. The knees, I don't know what it is, but he got old quick. And you're exactly right. I mean, if you think about it, I don't really see the advantage in uh, in Miami. Because if you think about it, Miami, they don't love their sports. Like, there's, there's, die-hounds, there's die-hard sports cities. Yes. Miami does not come to mind. No. You got the beach, you have the women, you have clubs, you have, they have everything. They, they're not a diehard sports team. So I don't really, I don't buy into the whole 
home court advantage. That's why I got the Spurs in six taking that game in Miami. Uh, but I do believe if it goes seven, if it goes seven, then LeBron James can will his way to another ring. Yeah, and that's something about, that's what makes him such a great player is that at this day and age, in, in the talent that he brings to the table into each game, night in, night out, he doesn't have that. He just always wants to win. He'll push anything. He'll do whatever he can not to lose. And you know that the spotlight is on him previously. If they do lose it, if he, they do lose in this finals, he'll be 1-3 in, in the finals, which we'll talk about here in a second. But I think the key factors when it comes down to this series, it's Tony Parker or LeBron James. It's those two players. They both lead their teams in the way that they play and how you know the game goes throughout the quarters. Whoever has control or whatever and is leading the team, that's the team that's going to win. We saw a game one, Parker with 21. Yes, Duncan did add 20, which I think is a key helper. And you look at LeBron, well, where's the help from Bro- Where's the help from Bosch? Where's the help from Wade? I mean, we saw in game one, you know, LeBron had 18, Wade had 17, and they lose. Mm-hmm. You go to game two, LeBron has 18 again, Mario Chalmers goes off for 19. So is, is Mario How many Chalmers, times is that really going to happen? Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is Mario Chalmers the key factor in the Heat winning games and here on out? We if that, that is your key factor, then I'm, you, you should be worried. It's tough, yeah. yeah. And you got Ray Allen off the bench. I mean, he's been contributing, you know, 10 to 15 points a game, which, you know, that's the average Ray Allen just stand at the three-point line. When you're 55 years old, you're old, that's pretty good numbers. Yeah. Well, when you break down the series, yes, it's going to be Tony Parker and LeBron James. Who can come out on top between those two? Yes, you have the San Antonio Spurs in six. I do agree if it does go seven, the Miami Heat will take it because LeBron James will put the team on his back and do on what he does. On his back, though. But I do think that the Miami Heat, I think they will repeat I th- after they picked up Ray Allen in, in the reg- or off season or whatever, and he signed with them, I thought that was a huge asset because they really didn't have yeah, anybody coming did. off the bench. Yeah. You know, they picked up uh, Mr. Tattoos himself. Oh, yeah, Chris Anderson. <laughs> Chris Anderson picked the, him the bird up. Man, bird man, Birdman. Um, it's just that last, or two years ago, I mean, you can't always rely on Mike Miller. You know, he's a guy who can shoot the ball at three-point, but you never know. It's a 50-50 thing. So bringing in Ray Allen, you know, He's had the experience. He's been in the league for almost his entire life. So I, I think, think that that's a huge factor life. for the Heat. But you got to look at the Spurs. They've been the same team for the last how many years? A hundred. You know, they won it in 07, so why not do it again with the same exact roster? And I think another thing we got to think of, Tony Parker is, uh, or Tim Duncan, excuse me, is ending his, getting towards the end of his career. Oh, yeah, they definitely. They definitely want to put, him, put him out with a ring. Like, you know, San Antonio wants to see it. I know everybody... In San Antonio, all the players, they want him to leave, to retire happy with another ring on his finger. And I really think that that's going to be, you know, there's these differences that really push sports teams and it brings them together. And that, that might be it, you know. Especially if you're looking at Miami who rely, who they can't, they can't just have LeBron do it all. But it always is the case where Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh are really just hoping, please, LeBron, just do it for this one more quarter. Please, just this one more shot, this one more series. And... You can't you can't do that forever. And poor LeBron, everywhere he goes, 
People just like they that. just watch. They just watch him do what he does, he's which he's great at. Yeah, and he did it, he did it in Cleveland. But you'd think it, when you look at the names and you look at rosters that the help around him wasn't as strong as you know what he has now. Right. But when you break it down to numbers and how each player is performing night in and night out, we aren't seeing the numbers that you would love to see from Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. This was they made the huge hype about LeBron coming yeah. in to Miami. Uh, we're gonna win five, six, how many titles he yeah. wanted? Okay. They want to do that, but, you know, age is a factor. And, I mean, we talked about it before. Dwayne Wade has fallen off the map this year. Yeah. I and it's sad to say. I mean, he's a great player. I, I love watching him. Smooth stroke. Yep. Always, you know, he's been to the final. He's been there with Shaq. He won it with Shaq. That was an amazing he won series. It, won it with LeBron. But then it's just like it comes to now. It's just like the spotlight is just he's letting it shift. Yeah. And, I mean, I really think that LeBron, he he can make a difference, but I don't. you can't. He is the, the, by far the best player on the court. When you, that's when you say you compare it to who's going to do it, Tony Parker or LeBron. Obviously, LeBron is better. Yes. But when you look at the surrounding pieces that Tony Parker has, when you got a Kawhi Leonard, a Manu, you know, Danny Green's hitting, going five for five from beyond the arc, these are more consistent players than your Mario Chalmers going for 19 and uh, Chris Anderson doing whatever he does. You know, these, I feel like the Spurs are more consistent. To beat the Spurs, you gotta, you got to bring a B-plus every night. You know, because they're they're constantly going to be a B plus. They're going to be a B plus to an A minus game always. That's just what the Spurs do. Yeah. And so if you want to beat them, you have to be better than that. You can't bring a B game. And LeBron James always brings A, but not the the whole the whole Heat don't. They don't. No. And that's and that's where he needs help on the you know the back end. You know, you got to look at it as a perspective a perspective from LeBron's like this guy's doing it all you know mm-hmm. and and you know like when you're going out of the lane and you're you know you dish it out you give it to Mario Chalmers that's not as I mean Green from San Antonio Parker's doing that I mean right. LeBron and Parker are two different players they they have two different roles LeBron's your top scorer and Parker does the same thing but he's more he'd rather give the ball up than shoot it Definitely. I mean if you look at him you always drive in the lane if, if you give him layups he's going to take them he's, you always see him but he has that extra sense to kick it out and get that ball rotated around and I just don't think that the options that LeBron has is as strong as San Antonio and that's why they have an edge in this series and I think that's why I, that's why I'm claiming I'm claiming Spurs in six but so now this proposes the question that if it is the Spurs in six what happens to LeBron's legacy because now he would go one in three in NBA Finals, losing 07 to the Spurs, 2011 to the Mavs. He beats the Thunder last year, and if he loses this year, that would put LeBron James one in three in the Finals. So, I'm going to ask everyone out there, how do you guys feel about LeBron's legacy? What is that going to do for him? If you guys want to call, feel free to call. It is 517-432-3893. Call in and come talk to us on a sports wrap. Personally, that's not... That's Everyone wants to compare him to Jordan Alves. That's not Jordan-esque to... When it comes to the finals, do that. I mean, no doubt LeBron James may be one of the greatest regular season players of all time and a phenomenal player, but if you go one for four in the finals, you're missing something there. Yeah, I need I need more than that from you. Kobe never did it. Jordan didn't do it. You know, I need more than that. So, but how much can you ask from LeBron James? As we've seen what he's done throughout the last years, multiple MVPs. I mean, the, the league knows he's he's the best player, and I'm I fine. think I think everybody else can understand that too. Whether Sports Center hypes him up or whatever, the guy's got the best talent we've seen in a long time. And when you go to the finals, I know that they you know 
Jordan had this many rings, LeBron has this many, so you can't put them in the same bracket. Well, you know, in my opinion, a championship is a team effort. You know what I'm saying? And when you come to 07 and you compare these to the Miami Heat and the Cavaliers, you, you would think that he has, you know, a, a higher percentage of sealing the deal. He did it last year without Ray Allen or a couple guys off the bench, and now this year you have underperforming, you know, all-stars, I guess. I yeah. mean, Wade and Bosch are still all-stars. considered elite, you Definitely know, all-stars. top-notch guys in the NBA. It's just that we've seen it with the the talent that they have. Like, how much more do you want around you, you know, to, to get a championship? Does he have to change the way he plays the game? Does he have to distribute more to the outside? I mean, he, you know, he's putting up, he puts up uh, eight assists a game, so I don't think that. But And that posed an interesting question. So if they lose here... And you know we don't know what's going to happen next season, but what does LeBron do? LeBron James do in 2004 free agency because he can opt out of his contract, and he can go. You know because he's still going to be young. He will still be in his prime. We see that Dwayne Wade is aging. Chris Bosh is being Chris Bosh. You know how long can he really hold on to these pieces in Miami? You know there's speculation that he might go to LA. That might he maybe he returns to uh, Cleveland for redemption. Plays with Kyrie Irving. You know there's these talks so. Because the league is all about the postseason. It's all about the postseason. Yeah. That's what they want to see. You can do anything you want in the regular season. But when it comes to the postseason, what did you do for me in the postseason? And I think a clear example of that would be George Carl, um, who, cle- who was, uh, if you guys don't know, George Carl, the former coach of the Denver Nuggets. They uh, they were third in the West this year. They had a 57-25 and 25 record. They had a 15-game win streak February and March. Um, let's see, April 4th, Danilo Gallinari tears his ACL, solid player, um, starter, 16 points a game, five rebounds, and they lose in the first round to Golden State. And George Carl wins coach of the year in May, and what happens? Gets canned at the end of the year. Gets canned in June. That's not right, but it, the, everyone wants to see what you do for me. You know, what have you done? And George Carl has a very notorious history of not getting it done in the playoffs. And it's tough, but it happens. And you can look at the last past coach of the year. Um, they're talking about, you know, everyone knows about the Madden curse. Well, they're talking about the coach of the year curse. And uh, if we look at it in 2005, 2006, Avery Johnson won with the, with the Mavs. So he wins in 06. He's fired in 2008. Sam Mitchell... Wins it in 07, fired in 08. Byron Scott wins it in 08, fired in 09. Mike Brown wins it with the Cavs in 09, fired in 2010. Scott Brooks, Tom Thibodeau, and Greg Popovich all won it in, they won it 2009, 11, or yeah, 10, 11, and 12, and are still on their teams. But you can see there's a clear history of you win it and you get fired. You get fired. And the coaches know that. They, If you looked at the interviews after uh, he won it, he even joked. He was like, I don't know if this is a good sign or not. And a couple weeks later, he's fired. Yeah, and, and I mean, these coaches, you know, they bring so much to the table. You know, like, obviously the game is played by, you know, the players and the stars and all that. But when it comes down to, you know, when your team's on a losing streak and, you know, things just aren't matching up, you know, first thing they do is look at the coach. You know, what are you doing to try to, you know, get this team back on track? And with the history of all this, I think that, you know, like from our standpoint, we look at playoffs and everyone's like, oh, what'd you do in the playoffs? You know, Denver's made it there. And 
and you'd probably never guess it, you know, like the Nuggets. You wouldn't say right. they would be... It's not a high market team. Yeah, exactly. And them, and, and thinking about the Grizzlies, they've, they've both been in the playoffs the last couple of years. It's just that they have hard time getting on to the second, to the third round. And yes, like, I understand he did a good job in Denver, you know, re reshaped their team, got them to the playoffs. But you got to look at it from an organization. Like, we brought you here. We want you to, you know, bring titles. You know, you may... You might have made this team a lot better, you know, outside in, you know, people looking at it and won the coach of the year. Yes, that's a great personal accomplishment. But when it comes down to the end of the day, you didn't finish out in the season. You played to win the game, clearly. but You played to win the playoffs is what they really <laughs> play mean. to win it, the playoffs. That's what they really want to say. If you make it in... It's it's title time, okay? Your record is zero, 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 yeah, and zero, basically. okay? And you need to show up to every game. So, you know, getting to the playoffs, great accomplishment. But when it comes down to buckling down, mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't see this happen with the teams in the first round. And, I mean, he, he's he's been great for Denver, no doubt. Definitely. I mean, he's definitely turned that team around. I mean, he, he and, sat through the whole Carmelo-Anthony where they had Carmelo, you know, and then he was like, I want to leave. Yeah. And then, you know, George Carl sat through the whole thing. Got all these new players, players, makes makes it work, playoffs, 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 but they don't go farther than the first round. No answer. And I think that, you know, great coach all around. We've seen it in previous history. It's just that I don't know if it's his players or it's his coaching style. It's just a better team they're facing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he's not a bad coach. Not he at isn't. all. It's just that getting your team to the next level is that next step as a coach and as a team and as an organization. And this is what I have a problem with the firing because, as I mentioned before, they had Danilo Gallinari when the whole season was great. He's, you know, he was their starting small forward, 16 points a game, five rebounds. Okay, And he gets hurt right before the playoffs, and they don't do well in the playoffs, and now everyone's looking at him like, well, why couldn't, you, why couldn't we win in the playoffs? Well, we didn't have a key part to our team and you can't blame that on him no not at all but they're the ones who take the blame exactly and it's unfair but that that's how it is but injuries happen you know you can't avoid them well sometimes you can but you know an acl right you break that you're out we saw you know derrick rose huge you know huge asset to the bulls Mm -hmm. you know gave a heat a run for their money you know derrick rose in the lineup we might be seeing spurs and bulls right now very very possible very possible and so then it makes me wonder you know George Carl, you know, we we uh, fired our coach, uh, Lawrence Frank. The Pistons looking for a coach. Maybe George Carl. Could he fill the position? If you guys have any opinion on this, you guys can feel free to call in at the Sports Wrap, 517-432-3893. I personally think that would be cool. I like George Carl. He's a great coach. I, I mean, there's a lot of coaching possibilities out there. I just read an article the other day that uh, Jason Kidd retired. Yep. He retired, I don't know, like a week ago, and now he's already being interviewed for the uh, – Position at the Brooklyn Nets the team to be a head coach. He, the, the team that he just left. Yeah, well, he actually left the Knicks. The Knicks, and, and then but he used to play in uh, for the Nets yeah. and the, when they were in New Jersey. But yeah, a week later, now he's trying to be a coach. So there's a lot of coaching possibilities out there. And I mean, that's it, the Pistons. I don't feel like that's a horrible. That's a horrible place. We love our basketball. We have some solid pieces with Greg Monroe, Andre Drummond, Brandon Knight on a good day. You know, you never really know what you're going to get from him. Yeah, and then whoever we draft. Yeah, which is the draft is coming up. Um, June twenty seventh, got the NBA draft, which should be which will be exciting. I personally love the draft. Um, as a big, big Pistons fan, you know, we have the eighth pick in this year's draft, and there's a lot you can do with it. There's a there's some people like to talk about strong drafts, 
and weak drafts. I don't I don't hate this draft. I think there's some really players here that are going to develop to be strong players, maybe even all-stars. And uh, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe a best-case scenario for us as a Piston. I like uh, I like Anthony Bennett, small forward from uh, UNLV. What do you think? Yeah, um, six seven, big guy, very versatile on the floor. His transition from high school to college has been seamless. Mm-hmm. There's no difference. He's adapting to the game and the speed and the physicality just fine, which is which is a huge plus. And, and you look at a guy like him; he's six seven. This, this is a big dude. And, uh, but he's quick. And but, that's, what, he, that's what they like. And that's that's the thing about it. That's what is going to separate you from being good and being great. And when you're a big guy and you have that speed to roll off defenders, so you look at like, you know, not, I mean, I don't know if this is a good comparison, but you look at Shaq. Mm-hmm. Shaq's a big boy. He's yeah. inside, he's dunks, he's rebounds. Doesn't right. have a good shooting, isn't that fast of a guy. But then you bring in Anthony Bennett, 6'7, 240, when he's matched up against a, a smaller defender. Easy back down, easy mm-hmm. layup, dunk over, right. whatever you want. But then you match him up, say you, uh, they throw a center on him or you know get a Big match guy. like that, he, he'll beat you with a quick move. And, and you don't see that a lot with a lot of tall guys in the NBA. And adding that to your game is is huge. And on NBA Draft.net, they actually rate, rated all his you know size, defense, strength, quickness, and all that. And overall, it came out as a 94. Yeah. And as a freshman in college, right. to be that for the draft and then being – Getting put in the top ten, right? I mean, that, that's a huge thing. And if and, and he's if he, a high potential guy, which ex- is what we like, you know, exactly. And, and I think it's something the Pistons need because obviously the last few years have been a struggle. You know, right, attendance right. has been down. They just haven't been what they used to be back in what the in, in the Billups, yeah. Tayshawn Prince era, shall we say? But now that we have you know an option at different coaching, maybe with George Carl, bring him in, you know, give him four or five years. What can he like? Let's see what he can build. You know, with right. this team because. The Pistons are in that building process right now. Yes. They're 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 looking at drafts and looking to lock down guys for long term and, and turn this organization around. And I think that if if we do get a chance at Anthony Bennett, I think that he would be a good fit for the Pistons. I agree. I really like Anthony Bennett. I really like CJ McCollum from Lehigh, point guard from Lehigh. I personally that's what I think that we will take with the way the draft plays out. And I really like it. That's that's a player that I, I really that would be a good fit for us. I really believe that. Um, hopefully get him. He's kind of like a a one-two guard, similar to Brandon Knight, but but hopefully, and I really believe a lot better. I think he can replace Jose Calderon, which we will probably leave depending on what we do in the draft. Um, and I think these are some of the best case scenarios for us as Pistons fans. I think worst case scenario for us, I really, really would hope we would stay away from. But I've seen it in mock drafts. I've seen people talk about it. Shabazz Muhammad from UCLA, super hype. Number one. Number one player coming out of high school. Did not produce at UCLA like they thought. He reminds me a lot of O.J. Mayo, who was super hyped up, super hyped. You know, didn't didn't kill it, did not kill it in college, and came to the pros and really took a lot of time to develop. I don't hate O.J. Mayo now in the pros, but he's not what we thought he was going to be. And I think Shabazz Muhammad is going to be the same way. He can score, but that's all he can do. And I feel like that usually, when you bring that to the pros... That doesn't work out. If they only have one dimension, which is scoring, and you ask them to do that in the pros, they don't. it doesn't translate. And I think that's another thing. And another, they say, you know, Pistons, we need a point guard. Another point guard we're looking at is Michael Carter-Williams 
point guard from Syracuse. I don't like him. David, I know you don't really like him either, do you? No, I, I just don't think it would be a, a, the right decision for the Pistons. You know, we, we have a guy like Brandon Knight, which no doubt he's a good player, but yes, he hasn't produced as what we, you know, what he was from college to the NBA. He's not you know, a point guard. He's a shooting guard, yeah, really. Yeah. It's, playing it, a point guard, and that's the problem. Yeah, and, and it's a huge difference from college to the NBA, but I just don't think that him coming to the Pistons is what we need at the situation we're at roster-wise. And I agree. I agree. I don't. I haven't seen a lot from him watching him in college. He had a, he had a nice game in March, and that was really it. And I really don't see the consistency from him. He is long. He's extremely long, extremely athletic, and that's what people are excited about. But that was the exact same thing that they were saying about Sean Livingston out of high school, came right to the pros, and it didn't work. So I, I'm hoping that we stay away from Michael Carter-Williams and Shabazz Muhammad. Um, if we want to keep looking at the draft, we can do a quick little mock draft. My mock draft, top 10. We're just going to do the top 10. Um, I got the Cavs taking Noel, center from Kentucky. I know he got hurt, but there's it's just high potential. They, you know, the next uh, a better Anthony Davis type player with more offense. I personally don't think it's a good fit for the Cavs. They already have uh, Tristan Thompson. They don't really need two guys clogging up the uh, the basket. Basically, being there when you have Kyrie Irving, who also likes to get to the basket. It's just too many guys down there. But I think that his potential is too high for them to pass on. I think Orlando. Takes Victor Oladipo from Indiana. We all, uh, if you've ever watched a Spartan basketball game, you know who Victor Oladipo is. He was the extremely fast, extremely quick, extremely high jumping guard for Indiana. And I think that he, I think, uh, you know, it's a bit of a stretch. Some people have him going to the Bobcats. I think that he's the best athlete in the draft. He's going to Orlando. Um, if, he, if he continue on the mock draft, I believe. Wizards take uh, Otto Porter, small forward from Georgetown. Um, that's, you know, Georgetown, Washington. He's right there. He's a hometown guy. That stuff just happens a lot. You just see that going down. They heard a lot about him. I think that that's going to be it. It's a good fit for a John Wall. You know, they need, a, they need a nice three athletic guard. He's one of the safest picks in the draft, according to everybody. I really like it. I think the Bobcats are going to take Ben McMore from Kansas. Suns are going to take Anthony Bennett from us. Um, I think it's a good fit for the Suns. New Orleans, gonna, the New Orleans Pelicans. I forget that there's the Pelicans now. Yeah, complete um, change. Anthony Lenz, center out of Maryland. Big, big clunky guy. He's he's supposed to be he's supposed to be one of the best uh, center prospects we've seen in a while. Um, Sacramento is gonna they're in the whole rebuilding process. I think they take Trey Burke, point guard from Michigan. We all saw what he did in March, and we've seen him play against this. He's a solid player. No matter what you feel about him. Solid player. Detroit with the eighth pick takes C.J. McCollum. Point guard from Lehigh. I really like him. I think Minnesota, they need a scorer. They need a shooter. They're going to give in. Go Shabazz Muhammad. Sorry about you, Minnesota. And rounding out the top ten, Trailblazers. I think they take Cody Zeller. Last year they took... uh, uh, I can't think of it right now. They took a center. Oh, Myers Leonard. They took Myers Leonard to center. He didn't really pan out. Cody Zeller is going to be a solid center, I really think. I really think that's going to work um, for them. And if, if you want to know some players to keep in mind in this year's draft, uh, CJ McCollum, like I talked about, you'll probably remember him when he beat Duke as a 15 seed two years ago with Lehigh. You haven't even heard of Lehigh until you heard of CJ McCollum. So I think that that's someone to keep in mind no matter where he goes. If he doesn't become a Piston, he's going to be a good player to watch. Uh, Rudy Gobert, he's 7'2 center from France. He has a 7'9 wingspan and a 9'7 standing reach. Just wrap your head around that for a second. 
He's predicted to maybe go to the Thunder, who have the 12th pick in the, the draft via the James Harden trade. Um, Dario Saric, a 6'10 small forward from Croatia. I really like him. He just won the uh, MVP in um, Croatia, but he might actually pull his name from the draft. So that's just something, another story to keep in mind. And my last player to look out for this draft is CJ Leslie from NC State. Super high ceiling, great physical tools, high upside, but didn't produce as, as well as he could have. They're looking at him as a second-round pick, and multiple uh, mock drafts have him going to the Pistons, which would be a great fit for us. So, Okay, well, uh, we're going to take a short break. You guys are listening to 88.9 Impact Sports Wrap, and we'll be back in five. You're listening to Impact Exposure. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Friday nights at 10 p.m., get ready for The Mechanical Pulse, where we're spinning all the house, trance, drum and bass, electro, ambient, and remixed music you need to get the weekend started. You'll hear live interviews and DJs spinning straight from the Impact Studios and the best new music on the scene. So tune in every Friday night at 10 p.m. for Mechanical Pulse. Only on 88.9 The Impact. Have you ever considered donating your blood? If not, perhaps you might reconsider. By the time this announcement is through, 15 new people will need blood. In fact, blood is needed by one in every 10 hospital patients, and there is almost always a shortage. There is no substitute for human blood. It cannot be manufactured. It can only come from those willing to donate. To learn more or make an appointment, visit redcrossblood.org. Reconsider blood donation. It's about life. Now back to Impact Exposure. Oh, welcome back to the Sports Rab. David DeFever alongside Zach Segula. We just got done talking NBA Finals along with the mock draft, what you what we thought would be good suits for the Pistons, along with other teams. Zach broke it all down for us. Notable stories and other guys to look for along the way in the upcoming draft. But as we swing into the second half of the show, we're going to you know, talk about the Stanley Cup Finals. Finally, both tickets have been punched for the final teams. Out of the East, the Boston Bruins defeated the Pittsburgh Penguins, a clean sweep, 4-0, took two in Pittsburgh, two at home, sealed the deal, are going to be playing the Chicago Blackhawks out of the West, who just defeated the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Los Angeles Kings, in five games, won the series 4-1. Uh, the this series is going to start on Wednesday the 12th at 8 p.m. in Chicago, being the one seed. They will host the Boston Bruins at the United Center, also known as the Madhouse. Um, a little recap, recap of the Blackhawks in, in this year's playoffs. They've only lost one game at home, so they're really taking that to their advantage. They only lost, just so happened to be against our Detroit Red Wings. Woo-hoo! But, uh, you know... Playing at your own barn and on home ice, obviously it's been a huge factor, and Chicago has you know, taken that to heart and using it to their advantage. Um, Boston, on the other hand, has gone 5-2 and two on the road this, you know, this far in the playoffs and uh, will try to increase their winning record um, on Wednesday. Um, out of the two teams, Boston clearly did it first. They did it against Pittsburgh, which a lot of people had the Penguins you know, going far in 
the playoffs, you look at this team, you look at the roster, and you see who they've got, and, and it's just hard to think that they're out of the playoffs already. This is a team that is stacked head-to-toe, one through four lines, and to think that they got swept by the Boston Bruins, it, it's, it's really hard to grasp. And it's got to say a lot about the Boston Bruins. It does. Defensively, shutting down you know, the top guys of Pittsburgh, I mean, it's a huge thing. It, it's not an easy task. It's not. And you look at the first three lines of the, of the Pittsburgh Penguins. you got Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and James Neal, all elite players that have had over 50-plus point seasons multiple. Malkin won the whole the MVP of the league last year. Crosby coming back from injury has been doing what he's been doing. He's Sid the Kid. He's Sid the Kid. And as much as people may hate him, he is... He's similar he, to LeBron James. That he, time. he is. And you know, they everyone hate, hypes him up. They hate who's... He's amazing. And yeah, you know, he's... You can't deny his skill. Exactly. He brings everything to the table, and he has everything you look for in a hockey player. But just because you're that good, people are going to hate on you, which is sad to say. But that's their first line. Then you got Kunitz, Dupuis, and Kennedy on the second line, who've been with Pittsburgh the last three or four years. Kunitz really had a breakout season this year. And then they picked up Brendan Morrow, a captain from the Dallas Stars. Great pick brought, brought him over into Pittsburgh. Then Jerome McGinley, a lifer for the Flames, captain again, brought over to Pittsburgh. And then UC Jokinen, another you know top forward in the NHL, brought over. And then on the back end, you have guys like Chris Letang, Brooks Orpik, and then you pick up another solid defenseman in Murray that you brought over from San Jose. And, and you look at going, this is all at the trade deadline. All these guys are brought in. So you got five new faces in Pittsburgh uniform that you'd think, how did this team pull it off? Mm-hmm. You know, and looking at rosters, if you compare this to any other team, I think the only other comparable team from top to bottom is the Blackhawks. I mean, they're loaded, you know, and they're in the finals for a reason. But a team like Pittsburgh, just I don't know what it is, whether it is offense or defense or their goaltending. Flurry gets pulled in the second series. They bring in Vokun, has a stellar, you know, has a stellar performance to, you know, close the deal against Ottawa, and then Boston comes in and just gives gives them one, you know, just puts everything on net, and, and they sweep them. And it, this is a team, they spend so much money, and they have so much talent, but they just can't get the job done. And, and I think that this just shows that you can't buy championships. And it's not just in the in the NHL. We've seen this, you know, with the Yankees and, you know, yeah. other teams and other Miami leagues. Heat, the know? Miami Heat, yeah. Everybody thinks that, you know, like those three really – what would bring in championships, and now they're struggling in the second year in the finals against the Spurs. And the thing about, you know, when it comes down to these two teams, when you look at rosters, yes, Boston has a strong a strong roster top to bottom as well, but, you know, when you look at Pittsburgh, it's you just, you're looking at superstars, mm-hmm. you know. But the thing when it comes down to it is that Claude Julien comes down to the coaching aspect. He, you know, did what he had to do defensively. Did he outcoached him? He outcoached Dan Bilesma, you know, the coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And this is the first time it's ever happened since 2009. Crosby went pointless for four straight games. And when you have your captain and, you know, the top guy that you rely on and the other team shuts him down, you, you really see, who like, do you look to? who yeah. do you look to? And, and, you, and you say, oh, hey, we can look to this guy. We can look to that guy. You know, like, Aginla and Morrow are your third-line guys, and they're right. both captains brought into this team. So you'd think they'd be able to produce, and, and it just hasn't happened. I think when stuff like that happens, it becomes more of a mental thing than anything because they, they clearly have the skilled players to, to do well. But when you're looking at your captain, Sid the Kid, and he's, and he's not producing, it almost becomes a mental block. And I think that's sometimes maybe that's what Pittsburgh struggles with. 
Yeah, and, and, and it's hard to say because you, you think a guy with that much talent and, you know, the weapons that he has around him that Pittsburgh would be running through teams. But I think that people have started to know that, you know, defense does win championships. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Tory Krug got his first start with Boston, you know, Michigan State Spartan defenseman, gets a call up, scored a goal in his first four games. I mean, go green and <laughs> go white. And you have, I mean, they've just got so much versatility on the back end, which I think Pittsburgh is great. They're, I think they're more of an offensive team first, which you can see when, you, when you're looking at rosters and depth charts. But defense does win championships, and I think the Boston Bruins, you know, really exposed that to the Penguins when they swept them. And you know, so what do you got? What do you got for the for the finals? What are you, what are you liking? I, you know, like Boston's play in Chicago. You look at what they've done, their records at home. You know, you can look at stats left and right. They're pretty much even top to bottom. I think Boston can take this. I think it's going to go seven. I really do. I really think it's going to be hard to take a game in Chicago. If anyone else is going to do it besides the Red Wings like they did, I think it can be Boston just because they they are a defensive-minded team. And, and, you know, that's that's where they are. They got Char on the back end, McQuaid. They have all these top-notch guys that, you know, they've been in the league. They know what it means. They know what it, it takes to win championships as they did in the previous years and now they're back in the finals for that exact reason so I think Chicago they do have a great chance at at winning the cup I mean if you look at how everybody's been playing Kane finally got started to you know you know gets the double overtime game winner seals the hat trick finally is getting the ball rolling scoring wise he's Mm -hmm. definitely contributed you know passing the puck and you know feeding guys that are open but you know when you have a guy like Taves and Kane like those are your top end guys that need to be scoring night in and night out and you brought up a, a fact that Jonathan Taves, the captain of the Blackhawks, he's got one goal this whole postseason. And that's that's one of the reasons why I don't think that Chicago's going to win. I think in seven games, I, I like the Bruins. You know, they're they're very similar in attributes, patience and experience. They have great depth. Um, but in the end, I, I'm giving the edge to the Bruins based on their physicality and, you know, Rosk, 9.43 um, save percentage since the second round of the playoffs. And when you have Taves scoring one goal... This playoff, I you know I don't think Chicago can do it, and not to mention I don't really want them to do it. Yeah, <laughs> personally, if you're gonna put out my wings, I don't want you. To, I don't want you to have the cup. Exactly, and and the thing is with Taves is like that. That's a guy you want to produce, and 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 it's hard to say that they even made it this far with him only scoring, you know, one goal. I mean, he's contributing the assist, but it just shows that you know the depth of Chicago. You know, their second and third lines have really been producing to you know like get the edge past teams. But when it comes down to this finals, this is where you know. The good players get separated from the great. Who has more? Who's willing to put everything on the line and, and, you know, come out on top? And I just don't think that Chicago can handle the toughness of the Boston Bruins. And I think that Detroit showed a, a blueprint on how to stop Taze when they constantly roughed him up. It was it was constantly physical, and he didn't he didn't know how to handle that. Yeah. And the Bruins are a physical team. They are. And they're going to do it to Taze again. And I, I don't see him getting out of it. Yeah, it's... I think that Boston is is basically going to do what they did to the Pittsburgh Penguins. It, it virtually, it's almost the same roster with different guys on the mm-hmm. other end. You know, you got Taves, Kane, Hosis, Sharp. You know, those are top end guys. You shut them down, you're good. They shut down Crosby. They shut down Malkin. They shut down Neal. I mean, if they can do it against Pittsburgh, they can do it against the Blackhawks. And that's why I think like if they do, and Kane and Taves and all them, they get stopped and they they can't you know produce in the playoffs. You know that's where they have to look for their third and fourth line guys, and I just don't think that you know they'll be out. They'll be able to outweigh 
the Boston defense, and along with Tuka Rask playing great between the pipes. Tuka Rask. I love that name. So, <laughs> moving on from the Stanley Cup Finals, um, Toronto, the NHL uh, Competitive Commission Committee, uh, got together um, in Toronto on Tuesday uh, discussing changes overall in the NHL um, about mandatory visors, which is which has been a big so thing. So it's not mandatory now? It's not mandatory okay. now. Not until, None of these are going to be implemented until the 2013-2014 season and or after that. Um, mandatory visors just, just to work on you know player safety. They also talked about um, uh, implementing hybrid icing, which will be tested in the preseason of 2013 and 2014. And um, they for, also talk- well, for our for our listeners who don't know what hybrid icing is, what is that basically? Um, okay, so a normal icing is is say the Blackhawks dump it into the Boston zone before the red line. It's a race to the puck. If Boston gets there before Chicago, it's waved as an icing, and the puck comes all the way back down to Chicago's end. If Chicago beats the Boston guy to the puck, the play continues as is. Now, when it gets like that, things are dumping in. Everyone's get, trying to get to the puck as fast as they can. This is high speed, high physicality. They're just trying to reduce injuries on the boards. You know, guys getting hit from behind, s- shoulder injuries, falling before the boards, crashing in. So what this hybrid icing is, is that instead of like it being a touch icing as the person touching the puck, it's... When the puck gets dumped out in the zone, whoever gets to the face-off dot to the left or right of the goalie gets to that spot first. That's going to determine whether it's going to be icing or not. So if Chicago guy beats him to the dot, could play continues. If the other guy goes, then it's going to be an icing. And that's going to be implemented in the preseason of the upcoming season, and then they'll vote on it afterwards to see if they you know, want it to be a part of the NHL, which I think this is great. This is great. I so mean, this is another safety thing. This is a, another safety thing, and night in and night out, we see guys getting injured in so many different ways. And, you know, icing is one of those, you know, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but it truly is. You know, guys are are cruising to try to get to the puck and you know just to reduce that factor of shoulder injuries falling before and doing that I think this is this is good to implement into the NHL. I think it's similar to how the NFL changed the kickoff where you know where the kickoff is because the, the players are getting are bigger and stronger now than what they used to be and you know there's a lot more injuries so when you change the kickoff when you change icing it's you have to evolve with the players yeah and it's it's the thing it's the whole thing with you know the kickoff everyone's backs turned they're you know shoving players from behind it's the same thing with icing you know going going into the boards you know you're chasing the guy down you're right behind them or you're side to side you you know bumping shoving pushing each other to try to get to the puck it's just going to overall reduce a lot of injuries that we've seen you know throughout the past years um, another thing they were talking about was reducing goalie-sized pads so that, you know, this was a whole disclaimer way back in the in the Patrick Waugh era, had, you know, oversized pads, was wearing bigger jerseys so the puck would get caught. I think that they're really trying to do that so that, you know, you know the talent level and what you know what you need to bring to a table as a goalie. It's 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 going to be tougher and tougher to get into the NHL as a goaltender. Like no doubt, it is one of the toughest positions to play. And realistically, they want to see more goals. And they do. They, and that's, and that's what sells. Exactly. And and I think that when you know implementing this, you, you're going to get those high end guys coming into the draft. It's not going to be as easy as it used to be. We see this. The NHL keeps on evolving day, day in and day out and year after year. And I think that you know. Changing the goalie pads, it just, it just makes that it, it's saying you know get better as as a player. You know don't rely on your pads, even though like you're all suited up and that's right. What, technically, you have to stop the puck, but 
So along with the goalie pads, they're also talking about sh- um, making the net a lot about, uh, a little bit shallower so that players have more room behind the net to create scoring opportunities. And how do you feel that changes the game? I, I don't really know. I don't think the net is going to be smaller. It's just like the back of the net will be pushed up so there's more room behind. Um, you know, behind the net is a tight area. I if they want, and maybe more opportunity, more room. Like you said, what scoring goals sells. No one wants to see a 0-0 game going overtime. They'd rather, you know, they want pucks in the net, and maybe this is a way to, you know, get that up. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's what's going to happen. But another thing that I... This one shakes me a little bit the wrong way, but, like, the trapezoid that's behind, you know, it got mm-hmm. implemented in the NHL, you know, restricted goalies from going out into the corners trying to prevent injury, you know, p- player safety... I honestly don't like the rule at all. No. I think goalies shouldn't be restricted to any area, okay? You know what you're getting into when you go to the corners. You guys are going to be flying at you trying to block the puck down and obviously get an easy goal with an open net. So I'm surprised that this wasn't brought up as in, hey, you know, we're going to make the net shallower, trapezoid's still there, but I think that would be much better if, if you know, goalies had that extra space to actually go out and make plays because you know now times I mean we saw it in the LA game last time quick goes to play it out he can't go out of the trapezoid it's kind of like a communication thing with his defenseman funny bounce out front and Kane puts one in the back of the net it's just like it's those things I know it's like it's hard to avoid or whatever but I mean they're rules of the game but I want to touch base on the whole mandatory visors thing um they're trying to grandfather it in. They're saying that um, if you don't have at least 20, if you have under 26 regular season or postseason games, that you will be forced to, you know, wear a visor coming into the league. And at first I was just like, hmm, you know, is, is this a good idea? Yes, it's player safety, but, you know, how much can you restrict players? Like, can, you know, you have to wear this certain equipment. You have to wear that type of deal. You know, like, mm-hmm. why can't I have the choice? They know these are professional athletes. They know what they're getting into. But... I think that, you know, eventually the NHL, everyone will have visors. And like you said earlier, when we were talking prior to the show, a lot of the European teams and junior teams and AHL, OHL, all these kids are coming up wearing visors. So it's not like a big change. They're they're just going to keep them on instead of having the decision to take them off. And how much do you think that this is because of uh, the injury to uh, Stahl, was it? Yeah, Mark Stahl. Yeah, um, how much do you think this contributes was because of that injury? I mean, I think when anybody looks at this situation, you know, this decision by the NHL, they're going to look at the Mark Stahl um, injury. And if you if you haven't seen it, um, you can find it on the Facebook page of Spartan, For- Spartan Sports Wrap. Um Explain to us what happened. All right. Face off in the New York zone. Um, they were playing the Philadelphia Flyers. Guy gets it at the point, takes a slap shot, deflects off a guy's stick, and comes up and catches Mark Stahl right at the eyebrow, like mm. right in the eye socket. So, you know, this these are, these are like, you know, 80, 90-mile-per-hour slap shots. I know, like, deflections and all that stuff happen, but this just shows how serious the injury is. He, you know, went down. He's been out. He never came back for playoffs wasn't able to play. So when you're looking at like a mandatory visors, they look at, you know, scenarios like this. Like this is worst case. If mm-hmm. you if you truly break it down, you truly look at it. But if you can it. prevent worst case, why not prevent exactly. it? Exactly. Why not prevent it? And that's where I think player safety is, you know, they've been now doing the video review with Brendan Shanahan, suspending players for illegal hit, 
helmets, head checks, and stuff like that. And I think this is not only just because of, like, flying pucks, and it's just that sometimes, like, you know, the game's moving so fast that you never know what's going to happen. So when it comes down to, like, bobbling pucks, you know, deflections, players just being careless. I mean, we've seen Duncan Keith of the Blackhawks this year, careless with a high stick, Catches the guy in the eye, gets suspended two games. Mm-hmm. Guy wears a visor, that may not happen. And I think that this is this is what you know. That's the difference between a penalty and a suspension. Exactly, the visor could be the difference. Exactly, and I think that this is this is what needs to happen in the NHL. And and when you look at it in an overall standpoint, you know, you're coming to the NHL. Yes, we want you to do good. You want you to do that, but you know, we want this to be a safety thing. You know, like coming here knowing that you know you're not going to get killed every time you go out on the ice. I mean, yeah, people might headhunt you and stuff like that, but... That's part of the game. Yeah, that's part of the game, but I think the visors is definitely going to be a huge help, especially preventing injuries, and then eventually everybody in the NHL will be wearing one. But, you know, guys like that have been in the league clearly and have had the experience, they won't be forced to do it. You know, I know that the Olympics has done it. You know, everybody that plays in the Olympics in, the, in hockey or whatever for your country, you're forced to wear visors. A lot of guys don't like that. They just wear them loose and throw them to the top of your helmet, kind of like what Cronwall does, I guess, Mm -hmm. which I don't know why the guy even wears one. It doesn't really serve a purpose. But, you know, that's just a thing that people look at for the safety of others. And I I honestly think this is going to be a good thing for the NHL. No, I think it's going to be a good thing, too. And, I mean, we're talking about hockey here. We used to have goalkeepers who didn't wear masks, okay? Yeah. So you got to evolve with the sport. And, you know, eventually, you know, you have to take the safety precautions and, with I think with like as you said uh, with the younger kids with uh, the other leagues that ma- it's mandatory for them to wear visors I think eventually in a few years this won't be a problem at all I mean it didn't there's a lot of people already wearing visors now yes so about seventy three percent of the league this this year wore visors so you know players are accepting of you know the changes in the NHL I just don't think that. You have to watch at, like, when do you cross the line with making rules to try to make things better for the, you know, for the league. I, I think this is a good thing, definitely. Um, I think safety is definitely, it would, it's got to be a main concern in sports. Exactly. And, think- and not just hockey. It's it's all sports, you know, like the whole football thing, the whole rule with the, the kickoff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just simple little things that they don't have a huge effect on the game, but it makes the safety of the players a lot better, and that's what people are tr- truly trying to reach out to. And another, and it's not just the NHL that you know the whole visors thing. In younger leagues, like when you first like grow up, like Pee Wee is the league that you can start hitting. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and kids are looking for that. They want the physical contact. But now that you have all these kids that are Pee Wees, you know, you look at some kids, and some kids still haven't hit that growth spurt Mm -hmm. at that age. And other kids are huge, you know, like, so there's a big differential in in height, size, and, you know, growth spurts for kids like that. So now they're pushing back, you know, when you can hit, you know, to later leagues down the road just because of that. So it's not just in the NHL and their safety. It's it's coming up in youth hockey as well. And I think that's, that's a good thing because, you know, when you're growing up, you know, you stick to a sport, you know, you want to stick with it whether you like it or not, but safety is a key factor when it comes to that. Because when you go into a sport, you know, you get injured or it's dangerous or whatever, you're going to shy away and move on to something else. But, you know, like making these rules, it's definitely going to be a benefit for the sport in, in the whole general aspect. And I think for all my Red Wing fans out there who don't agree with these rules, if you want to look at two people on the committee, our general manager, Ken Holland, and the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning, former wing great Steve Eiserman. 
they, they came up with these decisions. These are smart guys. They know what they're doing. And I think it really, all of it, is going to better the game. Yes. And that's really what, what matters, you know. Um, you see all these injuries. They want to stop these injuries that, you know, you got Sidney Crosby sitting out. Oh, okay. Well, we actually have a caller right now. So uh, we're going to take that. Hey, you're on uh, Sports Rap. Who am I talking to? Hi, my name is Bill. Bill, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. Hey, I just had a question for you guys about the visors you were talking about, and you touched on it briefly. Okay. What do you think about the visors causing the players to wear their helmets improperly and thus creating the potential for, you know, possibly greater injuries? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Kind of, kind of like the whole Cronwall situation. He wears it up, you know. They don't want that in the way. But, I mean, I think the players really need to look at it, you know, for themselves and for the league. This is They're trying to do this for the, for the better of everyone. You know, whether they like it or not, yes, there's implications that, you know, the experience in the NHL, you have to have at least 26 regular season games to continue to wear or, or have the decision whether to wear one or not. Um, I, I feel that it's, it, everyone's going to be accepting of it once it gets implemented. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks, guys. Thanks for calling in. All right, bye. So there's Bill's uh, interpretation of it. I I get where he's saying, you know, players wearing, you know, helmets improper. Um, You know, if they do that and then they get injured, you know, that's that's where they're going to say, all right, I learned my lesson and they're going to follow, you know, the rules of, you know, what the league is trying to do. Um, As far as that, I mean, moving on now, enough with the visors um the detroit red wings ahl team the grand rapids griffins okay if anybody hasn't been paying attention um are in the calder cup finals right now so just the stanley cup finals of the ahl they're playing tampa bay lightning's farm team the syracuse crush um the grand rapids griffins stole the first two games in uh in syracuse uh so it's it's back to grand rapids for game three and you know if if the Griffins, you know, pull this win out the next two games, even if they sweep or, you know, this will be the first Calder Cup in history, you know, it's it's good to see. I mean, we had guys like Nyquist and Tatar. They, they, they came to the wings, you know, gave, gave us help in the playoffs. But, you know, the way it works, you know, Nyquist is now back on the Griffins. He's been contributing, got a... a a very crucial empty net goal in game one, and then also a couple of the prospects, Tatar, uh, buried one in the game two. It was a very uh, emotional game. It, went, it was a back-and-forth battle, goal after goal, one-goal game. But, you know, the Griffins were able to pull out at the end and, you know, take a 2 nothing series lead. So that is the latest. Is it, is, I don't follow the Griffins. Is this surprising that they are where yeah, they are? Yeah, they, they haven't made it, to the Cal- they've made it to the Calder Cup Finals once, I believe, but they, they've never pulled out a win. So if, if they do win this, it'll, it'll definitely be a mark in, in AHL history for them. Well, that's best of luck to them. Yeah, and and it, it's only good signs for the wings. You know, we look at a, a lot of guys on our roster. That, you know, there's a lot of older guys. You know, what's coming up for us? You know, like guys like Nyquist and you know Anderson, and, and they're playing at a league. Yeah, it's lower, but I mean to make that push as a team and to make it to the finals and have a chance at you know winning the entire thing. I think that just shows that the Red Wings have a lot of crop that you know can eventually blossom into something great in Detroit. Okay, well, uh, let's recap the show a little quick. Uh, quickly. Who do you got in the finals? Who's winning? My, game seven. You got seven games, yes? Seven games. Going to? Miami Heat. Okay. Over the 
San Antonio Spurs. Okay. LeBron James is going to just go off on a different tangent if it goes to seven. Okay, I got Spurs in six. Next, what about NHL? NHL, this series is going to be one of the you know the craziest ones we've seen. I can tell lot. you're excited. Offensively and uh, off a. Uh, Strong-hearted offensive team and a strong-hearted defensive team. Them colliding together is going to be something else. I got Boston, though. I think it's going to go seven for sure. It's going to be a battle at both ends, but I think the Bruins are going to come out on top and win another Stanley Cup. I agree. I also have the Bruins in seven, Spurs in six. Looking for uh, Pistons to draft C.J. McCollum out of Lehigh. And uh, that was... The Sports Wrap with Zach Skula and... I'm David DeFever. David DeFever. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for Bill for our call. See you guys next week. You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89FM.